whenever I create projects, I always create them with a mind that I want to also create opportunities, right, for making a team. I work in production where there's less women, right? Mm -hmm. So I always look for opportunities to see where women can come and make a team. And that's how I try to do it in my small way. Yeah. You know, that's like the small way that I do it. Um, And I feel really inspired when I look at people who have done it in a incredibly grander scale than anything that I have done. And I mean, you know, this is one thing I've always, because I, I mean, whenever, when I started doing comedy, they were like, oh, the one of the first few women in Indian comedy, first few. And, you know, like, and I remember hearing shit like Trailblazer. And I was like, cool. And then now when they come to me, and I've been doing this for 10 years now, okay, I was featured 10 years ago as the first Indian woman to do comedy. And, you know, one of the only women to do comedy. 10 years later, when someone says, oh, you know, so anyway, you're one of the very few women. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I am not, <laughs> you know, I am not the only one. And if there's gonna, and if you're going to be a trailblazer of any kind, you have to make sure that the path behind you is forged in tar and stones. <laughs> and it's those trailblazers that forge these paths with blood and fire and make sure that the people walking behind them have it easier. Um, is who I think are truly exceptional, uh, especially in the case of uh, people who exist on different intersections um, of the society that we live in. Yeah, It's interesting to look at the many ways that people are doing this at all levels. You know, like there's there's ones that make the news. Yeah. Right. And then there's people that do it just in their in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their own, you know, works, you know, workspaces as well. So, you know, there's the big ones and then there's all of these little things happening around the sides, rippling yeah. around the sides. Yeah. I like thinking about that. I'm just going to jump in here to give some context on our guest for today. Ira Single has scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. Uh, I'm familiar with it because my sister also has it. Ira took the civil services exam in 2010, passed, but was denied the opportunity to serve in the uh, IRS, the Indian Revenue Service, because of her disability. Uh, Now, Ira said the list of disabilities used to disqualify her was arbitrary and not actually related to her ability to even complete her job. Next, she filed a case with the Central Administrative Tribunal. And in the years it took for the case to process, she took the exam again and in 2014 scored the highest score in the entire country for the civil services. And so this triumph, this success coupled with the successful ruling from the tribunal in her favor, uh, earned Ira the position she wanted. And by the way, Ira has given more TED Talks than almost anyone. And perhaps most inspiring, she's known for creating opportunities for others through her work. Without further ado. What kind of, can you tell me a bit about what kind of student you were in school? So I was in a joint family, and uh, we were uh, all of us uh, cousins of the same age. Um, and uh, so it was, uh, you know, a constant party at home. And <laughs> in that respect, um, though I did move to Delhi when I was 12. So 
Where, where was that? Where were you before that? I was bef- in Meerut before that. Everybody got the same treatment in the house. So there was one pe- a chocolate available and everybody got a piece. <laughs> so it was literally like that. So I had nothing different in my growing up. I was one of those kids that the neighbors would lock in their house and say, make our kids like you. I was oh. extremely well behaved. <laughs> yeah, I was an extremely boring child. I've never done anything uh, which was, you know, uh, something that I was not supposed to do. So my, my neighbors and my relatives have actually locked me inside their houses, inside their rooms saying, you play with our child and you make him like a, you. And I'm like, wait. And my friends used to be standing outside in the road and screaming, Bahara, Bahara. <laughs> I'm locked inside. I know. So, yeah. So I was like this really well-behaved kid. But uh, I was uh, this kid who would make friends with every new person in the class. Because I didn't want them to be lonely. And uh, yeah, I used to make everybody who didn't have anybody sit with me in lunch. Like, you know, I'd have this. I remember there was this one group in my school. So that group was like 10 girls. And the rest of the, out of the 63, the rest 53 were my group. So <laughs> all of them sit together and have lunch. Because I didn't want anybody to be lonely or feel bad. And what about... Um what did you want to do when you were a kid? What did you envision yourself yeah, so doing? I've been going to doctors all my life, like since I was born. So that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, if not that, then somewhere around when I was eight, nine, I learned about civil services. So that was the second thing or the administrative service. So that was my second thing. And um, strangely, I got to be in that. The end um and then you ha- you had this extensive corporate life. Uh, you were working with Cadbury and yes. Coca-Cola. Uh, Coke, I was an intern. I worked uh, with Cadbury. And, and then your changeover to public service. Yes. Um, first of all, what was it about the corporate uh, world that, you, that made you want to leave it? My company was really nice. I mean, there was a room, double the size of this room, and where we were, it was called the chocolate room. And it had <laughs> like tons and tons of chocolates, which you can go eat for free. Yes, yes. Cadbury is an what? awesome company. This sounds like yes. a dream come true yes. for exactly. everybody. Exactly, right? Um, actually, I love the corporate world. I love the life, yes. My only problem was, at the end of the day, I could not uh, say that I had made someone's life better. That was literally the only reason. Because I needed my day to have meant something to someone. It's just that. I earn around one-tenth to one-fifteenth of what I would be earning today in corporate. But uh, I think the emotional satisfaction that I get is beyond measure. And and what made you choose specifically in public service? What made you choose IAS specifically? Uh, so actually, I was uh, also keen on IFS. Okay. Um, but IS was primarily the, um, because this is the one place where you can solve a multitude of issues. You know, when you, um, I actually am a person who thinks of things in terms of issues to solve. So you ask me a question, I will give you an answer. Huh. But So all my ideas uh, and all come as, uh, how do we solve this? Huh. That's how my brain processes things. So in the IS, that's the, best place to really solve things. That's where you yeah. get the most opportunities. Mm. For our listeners, can you explain to us as a five-year-old, if you were talking to a five-year-old, what would an IAS officer's role in the administration be? What we do is that we make the city better, we make everybody around us, we make their lives better. And through the tool of uh, by policies, by implementation, by uh, building things, by, uh, you know, uh, giving justice. I sit, uh, we, we sit as uh, judges. We, we do a lot of things. It's, it's not just one. It's such a wide spectrum 
you basically can touch every sector and that's what i get i'm getting to do right now can you uh can you also tell us a bit about the case once you took the exam yeah. so um this is a very strange uh, situation for me um i had not been discriminated against as a person with disability yes as a girl many many times um not in my family but uh, in my uh, college and, yeah. especially hmm. men in this country are not used to women who think they should be equals yeah yeah, yeah right so um and i had that problem a lot and especially if you're a girl with disability that does not go down well mm-hmm. how can you look like you and, and, and think you are equal and you're a girl with a disability and you're a badass and that is so threatening <laughs> oh my god yes like people have been scared uh, i mean I have had to fight through but that was primarily because you're a girl saying all that. Hmm. You know, it didn't have to do m- more with being a person with disability. Also I'll tell you one thing honestly. Um people like it if you're asking for charity. People like you if you're asking them for help. If you're independent nobody likes you. Because they don't get to feel superior. It's a fact of life. Everybody likes someone that they can feel superior to. Because they can be condescending to you, they can be they can say I am giving you something. I'm being charitable to you. Your existence is basis on uh, my goodness. So it makes you feel better about yourself if you can uh, you know say uh, tell someone oh poor you I am helping you. I'm being nice to you. Yeah. So that's on you know my goodness and not on So that's um, a problem with me that you can't do that. <laughs> I don't give you that opportunity to feel bad mm. for me and then uh, feel better about yourself for yeah. being charitable to me. So when I joined the government in government service it's a very complicated thing but basically there are two criterias one is what are your abilities and the other one is what are your disabilities mm. on the ability criteria i fit in all government jobs mm. on the disability criteria i fit in only one job in the whole country which is the ias and mm. my rank wasn't good enough to get into the ias at that point huh. and so they kept rejecting me saying uh, sorry you can do the job but because we thought that someone like you can't exist We are not going to take you. What do they mean by no someone exists. like you can't exist? Because um, what they had done was there was no correlation between your abilities and your disabilities. Okay. It's extremely unfair to tell people that even if you can do the job because we didn't think you could, we were not going to take you. It was literally that that in the abilities list I fall into almost all the jobs. Yeah. So um basis that I fall everywhere but basis the disability that they're accepting I don't fall anywhere. So yay. And then in your case I believe I remember reading that it was like you couldn't pull lift or push or something no, that had so nothing to it, do okay, with so the job. It, yeah, it has nothing to do with the job because you're really not applying to be a coolie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on top of that there is no definition of how much you should be able to lift. Yeah. So like pull like, push what can you uh, tell a person that okay you can't lift 100 kg i'm not going to take you that for is or for the irs uh, that was uh, irs oh, is that way uh, was a lot easier for me you know uh. is was the only service i could get on my uh, medical criteria these are just random lists that some people sat one day and ticked off and said this one i like this one i don't like and uh, yeah there is no doctor available there is no doctor who's given an opinion there's nothing uh, which says why of any of those this i find really fascinating and this yeah. is one thing i wanted to ask you is that existing list who curated that list what, uh on i think 26th november 2007 or 23rd november 2007 i don't know the one day there was a meeting people came from different departments and they just sat there and ticked and said this is one that we like and there is no doctor uh, on board there is no doctor who decided anything so <laughs> 
So basically, people who did not have a medical background yes. created this yes. list in what seems to be an arbitrary yes. decision-making yes. process. Yes, it is. Um, I'm very narrow-minded. And by the way, nobody has changed their criteria even then. Still. Still? Yeah, yeah. It's been years. People are not ready to change. So, because you know what? Um, people don't want to uh, take it on themselves and really uh, do something. Why is that, Be- you because think? Because people with disabilities don't really have a voice. And there aren't enough of them in the system. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Um, the problem is that since childhood, most people with disabilities have been taught to either hate the world or expect the world to be soup, um, to cater to them. Hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, there are only two things that are taught to a child, uh, which is one, uh, oh, poor you, yeah. or the second one, uh, you need to be ashamed of yourself. So they have only two attitudes when you, you know, in any system, which is either that, um, you know, if a person who's uh, hearing disabled has walked one step, you are going to clap. Because, yeah. you know, mm. we've been doing that. We've been char- being extra charitable, extra nice. So even if that person says one word and you're like, oh my God, you did this. Wow. And we clap. Or, um, or you, you, you know, there is, uh, and you make, or you make fun of that person, right? Mm. So it's either, either of these situations, none of which is normal. Yeah. Because you're either telling them you're horrible or you're telling them you are the most awesome person born ever. So there is nobody rational enough. Or to make these decisions and make these changes and fight for them. Yeah. Because that's what families have done. Hmm. You know. uh, You know, my sister has very severe scoliosis and a genetic syndrome. Yeah. And my folks always treated us the same when we were growing up. Yeah. And she is the first one with her genetic syndrome to go both to university and to graduate school. Yeah. Uh. But what you're saying, it just really resonates with me because I really understand that it's treated in in many cases in these two ways. Yeah. And um, especially with lower middle class families. And we have to remember in a country like India, a lot of your disabilities are uh, created by poverty. Yeah. You know, um, you didn't get treatment uh, at the right age. You didn't, your parents didn't understand there was a damage during birth, childbirth. So it's a lot of it is actually created and not genetic. Mm. You know, so most of it is in the poor segment. And also, uh, you did not uh, see the treatment itself is uh, not really even expensive. It's more about having that time to get the treatment for your child. And that's the luxury that most people don't have. So it becomes even more a problem of the poor. And so since you fought this case... Have have other people with disabilities been able to join? So IRS, uh, no, they haven't changed the policy yet. It was just in my case, they said, yeah, okay, so we can do it. We they made it you an exception then? Yes. What? Yeah, because the judgment was about me. It didn't tell them to change the policy at that point. Wow. Apparently, the, the, you won the case and then you still went and gave an exam the next yeah, day. Yeah, because uh, the thing is that um, they weren't giving me my joining. So I didn't know if they were going to appeal the judgment. Oh, my God. If they had appealed, I would be stuck till retirement age fighting the lawsuit. So, I had a little options left. So, basically, it was a case if you have cleared this exam, but really, there is nothing in your hand. You've still got to keep fighting. And that's a case with all people with disabilities. These are already people who are disadvantaged. Yeah. Right? Who give this exam. This is, by the way, the toughest exam in this country and one of the three toughest in the world. And on top of that, you make people who've cleared this, you're making them go through uh, the whole rig- rigmarole again simply because they are 
disabled and these are the people that you're supposed to you know be nicer to in that respect yeah make it easier yeah. for them they're the ones who are having to fight at every step everybody else gets things just this one segment doesn't i'll tell you another example in this so do you know that uh, for every seat if you clear in the general category mm-hmm. uh, for obc scst any other reservation category mm-hmm. your rank is then shifted to uh, a general category rank another yeah. person with your category gets the reservation seat it doesn't exist for uh, sph category <laughs> For PH category, you can only get a PH seat. And so, for example, if there are hundred seats, huh. and uh, there are there is one seat for a person with disability, huh. and rank one is a person with disability. Correct. That person will get the disability seat. What? And if you are rank two and a person with disability, you will not get a seat, even if there are hundred seats. What is this? How Because is this you fair? Will, you will fail the medical criteria. And by the way, there is no logic behind the medical criteria. People still think of people with disabilities as a burden, and that doesn't. Ma- it's not about the government. It's literally everybody. It's the society which treats people like that with burden. Yeah. So if you are a burden, then uh, having you in the system is a problem. You are going to be extra burden. And by the way, I am a big advocate of don't give me a job that I can't do. Yeah. I'm a big advocate. I do not support the idea that be charitable to people with disabilities, especially in the government sector. In my role, my job is primarily to solve people's problems, right? Yeah. And if my problems are so big that I'm not able to uh, do justice to the job, yeah. then it's not fair to all those people who come to me to solve their problems. So don't give me a job if I can't do it. I'm not saying give me a police job. Mm. I know I won't be able to handle the physical effort required. Don't give that to me. I'm yeah. not saying give it to me. But uh, you know, don't not give me a job that I can do. See, if you're giving me a job and I'm not going to do it to the best of, uh, to what is required for the rest of the people, yeah. those ten lakh people who come to me for their things shouldn't have to suffer for Because you to be charitable to one person, which was me. Yeah. Yeah. You're being uncharitable to all of those other mm-hmm. people to be charitable to me. Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. But on the other hand, if I can do it, then you cannot then tell me that don't do it because we didn't think you could. Right. So yeah. it has to be a very rational approach. You have to decide who can do those particular tasks, and just judge on abilities. You mm. need people to be of this criteria. Mm. If they are, let them yeah. be. Ji, you're also credited with uh, giving a full-time job to the first transgender individual in uh, the government Delhi government. Office, yes. How did that come about? Um. So I, like I said in the beginning, that I'm a person who always has a solution to everything. <laughs> the only one time in my life that I did not have a solution was the one uh, one time I had gone to an. Uh, NGO of transgenders, and the audience was all transgenders, and they threw questions at me, and I did not have a solution. Like what I kind of questions? Have... Okay, so here is the situation that they deal with. These are kids whose parents throw them out of the house. Um, when they go to school, it's not the classmates who make fun of them; it's the teachers who make fun of you. Your classmates bully you; you go to the teachers. Your teachers bully you. Who do you go to? Who do you ask for solutions? Who do you ask for help? So parents are throwing you out. Teachers make fun of you. Um, if you go ask for a house anywhere in any neighborhood, they will never rent you a house. Because who's going to rent a house to a transgender? Are you serious? People are going to make fun of us. And the community will say all these things. By by the way, India runs on how the community thinks of you. So all our lives are defined by what will the world say. So what will the world say if I give my house to a transgender person? So this is a person we don't give education to, and nobody gives them jobs as well, right? Yeah. So we don't give them an education, we don't give them a house, we don't give them a job, and the parents have thrown them out. Really, what is their solution? There are no scholarships for them, by the way, and there is no reservation for them anywhere. So these people have no social net. 
ஆனா <laughs> right yeah. you can always go work with someone who's not a transgender you can just uh, you know you have an op- option to ignore they have an option to ignore you and not acknowledge that you exist what i will instead do is put you on my reception and the reception of Boom. an sdm office is the only place in the world that you can get that particular task done you cannot get that task done anywhere else in the world because if you have a caste certificate you can only get it from your jurisdictional sdm hmm. and here when you, normally you as a transgender go to beg this time that person is coming to you begging for something <laughs> so the power equation changes and now it's on that person to behave nicely with you now it's on that person to you know treat you as an equal hmm. or treat you as a good uh, you know somebody that can do something treat you well just be respectful to you because you are doing the thing that they need you know they don't have an alternative yeah so it was just wow. bad and that's what i did we're asking uh We're looking for one thing that listeners can do, whether it's a question they can ask themselves or have a conversation, something they can do in their own life. Yes, okay, you, you've uh, got something. So, uh, <laughs> A, don't let other people or the world define who you are. Don't let people and the world tell you who to be and what you should be. Always ask yourself, why did I think this in this situation? Judge your own biases. That's a very tough thing to do. Most of us don't do it. So, don't. start being honest with yourself about who you are why you thought thought that way and admit your faults so uh, that's something that i have learned over the years and uh, that's one thing i think is the best way to really live with clarity and a lot of no baggage life comes from that that be honest to yourself be honest with yourself and also judge your own motives yeah i just like to round it off with in a class of 63 um when there was a group of 10 you were the group of 53 and it seems like you've replicated that in your life today and then the rest of them uh, will uh, are a part of your gang and thank you so much my pleasure women in labor is made by christina mcgilvery laura quinn aditi mittal Manya Sachdeva, Sonakshi Chowdhury, Nandita Gupta, Sonali Thakkar, Ipti Patnaik, Rose Higgins, Porva Jassy, Regina Hawkins, Kashish Sethi, and Priyanka Verma. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings, and conclusions stated are those of women in labor and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. For more information on the podcast, visit womeninlabor.com or search Women in Labor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.